0: The Gospel. It's a word that's been tossed around and used as an adjective and a noun, and for many people, there's really not an understanding of what it actually means. It's the good news concerning the identity of Jesus Christ as King, and now He's provided a way for us to be forgiven and saved from our sins and brought into the kingdom of God. But how exactly does that work? How is someone converted to Christianity or saved? Is there a magic prayer that someone has to recite in order to become a Christian? Or maybe it's baptism. Why do Christians get baptized anyway? If someone doesn't get baptized, does that mean they're not saved? Obviously, Christians have universally agreed on this topic for the past 2000 years, right? (laughs) Welcome everybody to the Beards and Bible podcast. My name is Josh, and I am joined by my trusty assistant, Gabe. Gabe, is that demeaning for me to call? You're not really my assistant in this. We're we're co-equal.
1: Yeah, I feel like you called me buddy the past <laughs> three
0: episodes, and then I get I don't know. Assistant, it's very
1: yeah. yeah, it's very sterile. Like I like the buddy thing going on, and then you
0: like buddy, and then I said assistant. Yeah, huh. well. That's pretty patronizing. I'm sorry. What's happening to us? I don't know, man. That's. (laughs) I'm really sorry. You're a co-heir with Christ. Is that better?
1: Yeah, that's good. And buddies.
0: And buddies. Yeah. Well, do you feel like when somebody says, hey, buddy, that that's like they're talking down to you? Or is it like they're challenging you to fight? Like, hey, calm down there, buddy. Or like, look here, buddy. I mean, is that like a term of endearment? I know when you and I are like, hey, what's up, buddy? That's different. But if a stranger just or someone Mm. you don't work close with called you buddy, is that like them there's fighting words or how do you feel about that?
1: This is where context is everything. Uh,
0: (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) Mm. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like, um, yeah, if I was in a Sam's restroom and somebody (laughs) walked in and had an issue with me, And was like, hey, look here, buddy. I would be like, okay, you just threw down the gauntlet. Yeah, but if they're
1: like, like, hey, buddy, how you doing, man? You know, I'd I'd be like, good, good, how are you?
0: Do you remember, um, there was a a Christian ethics professor we had at Southeastern. His name was Dr. Staples, and he was Canadian. He was Canadian, and um, his whole thing was guy. He was always like, "Hey, hey, guy. And I was like, I don't know how I feel about that like i don't know if you should call me guy it just doesn't i don't know i felt hmm. more impersonal than buddy so buddy guy dude yeah homie speaking of
1: speaking of canadian uh did you get any any kind of emails or feedback on your canadian accent from, from the last i did episode?
0: not I don't, I don't know if they just have permanently disowned and banned and are boycotting beards and bible podcast because of my uh my cultural stereotyping i don't know but we do have new listeners from um, India, which is kind of cool, and from South Korea, which that's pretty awesome. And that might be some people that I know because I lived in South Korea in 2009. And so that might be some folks that I'm still connected with from awesome. different places there. So I don't know. Oh, it's kinda... well,
1: welcome and komsamida. Uh,
0: kamsamida. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what that means? I have no idea. <laughs> you just told them thank you which is very nice of you but
1: uh no i i i gathered that it meant thank you
0: okay good 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 yeah. i don't <clears throat> i don't really know any indian dialects i think there's oh like no that was
1: oh that was korean though you know that was, yeah, okay. yeah that you, was, okay okay
0: yeah yeah yeah, okay. yeah yeah what if i lived in korea for a brief amount of time but i literally knew zero korean words ever I just that would be very <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of kind of close to how it was. I knew how to say, where's the bathroom? I knew how to say, thank you, please. And kind of order in a restaurant. And I, I worked really hard to try to learn that. But man, it's a different language. So anyway. Well, well, thank
1: here, you. I'm going to take, take a stab at at <laughs> thank you in Hindi for our, our our listener in India. Okay? Yeah, do it's it. it. Danya vaad.
0: Thank hmm. you. What do you think? I think that- I think you I think you just brutally insulted them probably. Okay. Um, well, yeah. I tried from the bottom of my heart. <sighs> you tried, you tried. I think that's what matters. And we're gonna try tonight or whenever you're listening to this to tackle this very important topic about baptism, the sinner's prayer, and and biblical conversion. So how someone becomes a Christian how someone becomes a Jesus person how someone enters into uh, this thing called the kingdom of god um Gabe how did how did you become a Christian when when would you say that happened for you and and what did that look like for you um this practice of of entering into the Christian faith
1: um it looked a lot like well the kind of the evangelical mo you know of like uh, i was 9 years old i was Led through the process of saying a prayer um, in bed. My dad was at my bedside, and uh, and then you know it was just a couple of weeks after that that I was immersed in front of the whole church. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was a it was a semi-formulaic prayer that was heartfelt. Um, and then you know from from that point forward, uh, you know pretty much up until my I don't know t- mid twenties or so, it was kind of like a it was kind of like a really hot really cold or lukewarm it was like a you know a, a journey of kind of this roller coaster ride of really trying to embody that faith um, yeah. and it's only probably the past 11 12 years that i said okay i am going to fully embody this faith and part of that is having children it's like you know it really wakes you up to that that experience and, and says I, I have to i have to not only make this faith my own but i have to i have to pass that and teach it diligently to my children at this point so yeah. it's a, it's a wake up for sure
0: So you were nine. Do you think you understood exactly what you were doing at the time that you, you know, prayed that prayer of salvation? And um, did it really click what you were doing at the time you were doing it?
1: Partially, I understood half of it. And that was that I was a sinner and that I was in, I was in need of forgiveness or else I was um, subject to the wrath of God. I knew that Mm -hmm. much, but I didn't know what the next step was. Right. Um, I did that wasn't fully explained to me of being an imitator or a disciple of my teacher, of my savior. Um, and it, I, that, that didn't really hit me really until about 12, like I said, about 11, 12 years ago that, okay, I have to imitate. I have to walk as he walked, live as he lived. And, um, so yeah, partially it did.
0: Yeah. So you had at least a cursory understanding of the gospel in the sense of like, you were a sinner. You needed forgiveness from God. You were under the wrath of God, and you needed you needed that. So, it, it, as much as a nine year old can understand, you you understood that part of it, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, what you, I would say much about you. Um, man, this is always a tough one for me to answer because I and this is probably why I'm so interested in this topic. <clears throat> um, like you, I grew up in a Christian home, so we listened to Carmen and Salty, the singing songbook, and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't allowed to watch Ghostbusters because that was bad. Um, all the <laughs> all the late eighty, early nineties Christian stereotypes we embodied. So, um, and I'm grateful for that. I know I'm, I'm being funny and tongue in cheek about it, but I'm grateful for that. So I I prayed a prayer with my mom to receive Christ when I was six, I think. Mm, okay, and then I was immersed and baptized on a Sunday night <clears throat> in front of our church, and then. When I was around probably 11, um, I was introduced to pornography for the first time. And um, I got like really addicted to pornography as an 11-year-old kid. And from the time I was 11 to the time I was about 14, it was like this um, serious addiction. I know that sounds really strange for someone that young to deal with something like that. But um, I, I think I started understanding like the depths of my own depravity and the depths of my own sin and ways that I didn't understand when I was 6. Mm. And so when I was 14, we were at a youth camp <clears throat> and I basically heard the gospel presented again and for whatever reason it just clicked in a different way and so I like walked the aisle and you know prayed a prayer to receive Christ um, at 14 and then Kind of like you. I mean, I just really struggled trying to figure that out and live that out and, you know, ran pretty far from God in certain seasons in my early 20s. And when I was about 23, I kind of had another moment of kind of going all in and surrendering. And then I was re-baptized when I was 27. That's a funny story. I was in ministry for full-time ministry for like two years before I was re-baptized. So Hmm. kind of embarrassing. But I think what's so interesting is when somebody says like, hey, when did you become a Christian? For me, I don't know if I can point to like, hey, that moment where I first said the prayer when I was six or that moment when I walked the aisle when I was 14, that moment when I decided to truly surrender all of myself to God when I was 23 or when I, so I I think for me, it's probably a little bit more nuanced than maybe this um, idea that we were kind of schooled in growing up in the church in the early nineties of like someone recites a prayer and then they recite that prayer and Hey, they're born again. And that's it. Right. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I challenge that on an almost weekly basis that that's not, that's not salvation. That's a starting point for what Paul would refer to as your race, but then it's kind of up to you to continue to run your race. Yeah. And you have to finish it, obviously, because you're running to finish it.
0: Sure. So it, you would say it's more of a journey? It's more of a process? It's more of a, you know, using the language of Paul, a race?
1: Well, and I, I like to use the term, too, and I hope this is theologically correct, at least. Um, of, I, I, I tend to stay away from using the term, when were you saved? Right. Um, but rather, when were you redeemed? Um, hmm. I understand the word saved is, is a good word because you're saved from the wrath of God. You're saved from punishment. You're saved from this. And I, I think that that's a good word, but I think that even better word is when were you redeemed? Because redeemed involves um, liberty, but it also involves someone having to pay a price for that. But it also right. involves um, the idea of you now being subject to someone else. Sure. You're, re- you're redeemed. And so now you owe something to someone. You owe your life. You're a bond servant to someone yeah. else.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. And I think that, um, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, we both pastor in the South, right? And so that term of saved, I got saved, right? It comes with so much baggage, I think, from so many people. And for a lot of people, the whole Christian life, that the the sum totality of Christianity is you pray a prayer one time, and then you've got your magic ticket to heaven, and now you're not going to hell. And hey, mm-hmm. guess what? That's That's the extent of it. And so you know i i also try to avoid that language of hey when'd you get saved or let's get saved or who wants to get saved not that i don't believe that we need to get saved everyone needs to get saved but there's so much baggage with it i think we almost have to unhinge this concept of conversion away from that language to show mm-hmm. people that conversion is so much more than just you got a magic ticket to heaven and you're not going to hell now does that make sense
1: yeah and i also like the term born again because that's the whole essence yeah, too. of immer- immersion is that you are like John chapter three, you're being born again. Um, it's a, it's very birthy language. So I like that. I think that's a I think that's a good biblical term to apply to this experience when you um, you you have an awakening to the sinful state um, of your soul, and then you are born again. And so that born again involves yeah re- involves repentance, confession, involves immersion, and then you know walking in His ways and obedience to His word and imitating Messiah. But um, yeah, the word saved is to me, I, I feel like it's a better word applied to when you are at the gates of the kingdom. If that makes sense, like you're saved, Sure, sure. you know, like you've run the race or you, you take your faith to it, to your grave. You know, you're, I think salvation. It,
0: there's, a, there's a verse too, that talks about we are being saved, right? I mean, it's in a mm-hmm. present yeah. continuous sense. It's not in a, Hey one and done. you prayed the prayer. you got dunked in the tank of water. You know, yeah. it's it, you go sit in the pew and wait till you die, right? I mean, it's this um are you looking that up now? that verse?
1: yeah, Philippians two twelve uh, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So this is, yeah, this yeah, there's this idea that we're working on this where we're, it's a it's a process um right. and some would someone call it like sanctification, but it, sure. it is it's a it's a process. Yeah. And it involves it involves effort on our part to live set apart and holy, but it also involves um God's grace to 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 be there for catch us when we fall. And we Sure.
0: Well, you know, I think we that verse that. is so interesting because that verse, I think a lot of us, um, depending on what tradition we grew up in or that we're most comfortable with, we like to lean heavily on that verse in Philippians, because the first part says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And a lot of us go, Yeah, work on it. Right. But then you keep reading and it says, for it is God that is working in you for both his goodwill and his pleasure. Mm. So there's this beautiful tension between um, our responsibility um, to live a holy life and to um, hold fast to our confession and our profession of faith and also the work of the spirit within us to sanctify us, and to make us into the image of Christ, Um, which is this tension. I don't think that really, (laughs) I think if anybody gives you a a clean, convenient answer about how exactly that works, I think you're taking the tension out of the verse. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's intentionally written that way. Um, So, okay, so in in the first, second, or third century, right, let's just go back all the way to the beginning of church history. If I, let's just say I wandered into your group, you're uh, a leader, you're an overseer, you're a, an episkopos, that's the, the word for that, right? Mm-hmm. Of of a gathering of Christians. And like we're in some place like, you know, modern Turkey, right? Um, Asia Minor. This is where a lot of churches in the first and second and third century were. And I'm a pagan. I know nothing about Jesus. I start meeting um, some people in your group, you start sharing the gospel with me. And after a while I say, hey, I'm in. I want in. I'm, I want to become a Christian. How how would I have been instructed to convert? Would you guys start playing on the keys just as I am and you know, <laughs> come down the aisle and walk me through the Romans road and then repeat after me and squeeze my hand if you don't want to pray out loud? I mean, <laughs> what would that have looked like if I wanted to Join your gathering if I wanted to become part of the way um, in the early church.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good question because I mean, for the first, gosh, at least a hundred to two hundred years of the faith, um, it was the DNA uh, was a predominantly um, was a predominantly Jewish movement, and at least the first fifty to seventy years until the destruction of Jerusalem and destruction of the temple in seventy A.D. Um, the majority of the followers of Jesus would have been Jews who, Mm. um, so let's just, let's just take up until 70 at least, um, you know, because we've got 40 years after the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus. So let's take those 40 years. What within that window of 40 years, what would you have done in order to, to experience this conversion process? Well, I think um, you would have, you would have, Obviously, you would have found it. Like, let's take let's take the Ethiopian eunuch for instance, right? Um, in the Book of Acts, know, yeah, in the Book of Acts. So he finds, and he's like, "I'm reading the Scroll of Isaiah." Isaiah, and so there is no New Testament, first of all, and there isn't going to be a mm-hmm. New Testament for at least a couple hundred years. So your scriptures, first of all, and what educates educates you on how um, you are to live or what the Messiah was supposed to do, you know, you're, you're gonna you're gonna get that by and large from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament. um and that's going to educate you on all that stuff now there will be teachings and there will be sayings of yeshua or jesus and the stories that he shared and the parables that he's he shared while he was walking on earth um you will hear those and maybe you'll have letters that are circulating from from various apostles and stuff but yeah as you come in as you come into these gatherings um there's going to be a a heavy jewish flavor probably in the first hundred years if not if not longer than that so um the idea of a conversion into a new religion, um, like we would see like modern Roman Catholicism or something like that would have been completely uh, foreign to them. First of all, because as you're, as you're coming into the faith, um, like Romans 11 and Ephesians chapter two, these are, these are Paul's letters and and chapters within Paul's letter letters that are very um, inclusive language into the greater family of the people of Israel. And he uses the language, you've been brought near, you've been made near the covenants. You were lost and without hope. And then he uses the language, you were a wild olive branch who's been grafted into the commonwealth of the family of Israel. So it's like this you're you're coming to this table as a guest and this family's home and you're trying to figure out what did they do? What is what is the what is the standard operating procedure of this family. And that's the case, that's the case with the the first century faith is you didn't. You didn't look at this idea of ritual immersion in a vacuum. Um, that was already a well-established ritual for thousands of years within the Jewish faith. So, yeah. that, but at the time in the first century, um, you have these. You have these schools of of um, rabbinic schools where these learned men, these rabbis, who are very learned in the, in, in the Torah and the Hebrew Bible, um, are creating for themselves disciples. And one of the first things that they do is they would take their disciple and they would immerse him in water. And the rabbis actually say, the rabbis of that time actually say that when he comes up from that water, it's as if he is his own uh, biological son. Wow. And he's to take him and to teach him everything that he knows about the, the, the faith, the Jewish faith at that point. And So
0: it, it, let just stop you for a second. So when we sure. see in the New Testament and the gospel of, of Matthew, I'm just picking that one particular gospel, the first instances of baptisms you see is John the baptizer, mm-hmm. right? So, so John the baptizer is actually doing something that rabbis have probably done for a long time up to that point. Is that right?
1: Yeah, definitely. And John the Baptist had disciples. Um, right, right. And, 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 and so they that's how he more... would
0: have basically called them as disciples. It would have, immersion Mm -hmm. would have been considered a part of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, when you go into the water, you come up as if you are a newborn babe. And that's very much the picture is like, you're entering the womb again. Um, Mm -hmm. You're entering the waters of the womb, except it's kind of like the womb of the earth and you're being, and you know, that's a picture of like creation. It's, you're becoming a new creation because You know, God took part of the earth, the Adamah, and he made this thing called Adam and the first man from the earth. So you're entering the earth again and you're coming up as if you're a newborn creature um, and you're being born again. That's that John chapter three language. So um, that that was a very, very um, common thing at that time. And you find these um, ritual immersion baths all over the land of Israel. you know, in in synagogues or people's homes, if they had money to do so. Um, but yeah, that's is a very common thing. It was a very well entrenched ritual within the Jewish faith in the first century. So, so,
0: so, okay, keep going. Sorry. Oh, I was
1: just saying. So, if if you are a pagan, let's say, um, uh, first of all, you know, when Paul is making all these missionary journeys, he's going to already well established Jewish communities that had been there for around a hundred years. Um, since the first conquest of Rome in in the 60s BC. So he's going to these places who have been there for about 100 years and he's sharing with them, like he says to the Jew first and then to the Greek. He's sharing to the Jewish people that their Messiah has come. And in doing so, what he's finding out is that in many cases, the non-Jews are actually more interested in the gospel uh, and the Messiah of Israel than his own people. Um, and so he's, and then he, he goes with that and he says, okay, well, this is part of God's plan ultimately, um, is that these Gentiles will provoke my brother into jealousy. So as you're, as you're, um, let's say you're a Roman and you want to, and you want to hear about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you want to hear about the Messiah and you want to hear about, um, redemption and all these other ideas and the gospel, the good news, the only place that you know, to go to would be the synagogue, the Jewish synagogue in Rome. And it, let's say you just happen to go to the synagogue in Rome, and there is a man standing there from Jerusalem who is a Pharisee, but he had this encounter on a road to Damascus. and he's he's sharing um about the 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 messianic prophecies in the Hebrew Bible and how they came to and you know how they were fulfilled in this man, Jesus of Nazareth, and how you have mm-hmm. to believe in him, put your hope and trust in him. And their salvation is even extended even unto the Gentiles. Well, the first thing that you would probably do if you accept this message, is you would go to that synagogue's ritual immersion tank or or bath, and mm-hmm. there there would be um, uh, a, a kosher mikveh as it's called in Hebrew. A mikveh is just a, a ritual immersion tank. Right. Um, it would need to be at least forty siyas of water, and uh, which is about I think I don't know maybe eighty gallons or so. I'm not sure and you would take these steps. There'd always be three steps leading down into the water. You would take these three steps down and you would immerse yourself. You would actually, you'd be there alone. It wouldn't be like someone holding you and dunking you. You'd be there alone. And and then your rabbi would be watching you and supervising. And you would immerse, you'd go down, up, down, up, down, up three times and 40 sias of water or more.
0: So in Acts chapter two, when Peter is given the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, Mm -hmm. and he tells them in verse 38, to be baptized each one of you and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit. Mm-hmm. When he says that word and when he uh, points to that idea they're in Jerusalem. Yeah. They they're they're mostly Jews or so they're acquainted with the Jewish faith well enough to know when he says that idea they're not going what's that? <laughs> right? I mean they they know what he means. They know what he's talking about. This is coming into a new way following a new rabbi, being a disciple, and being born again as a new Mm -hmm. type of creature through this ritual or through this practice, I think I like that Mm -hmm. word better, of baptism, right? I mean, it's not a new concept to them at that point.
1: Yeah, and you notice in Acts 2, it says that 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. Mm -hmm. Um, The only place that you could immerse 3,000 people would be around the temple mount itself. So these these people were probably gathering in uh, Solomon's portico, which is the northeast corner of the Temple Mount, um, and they're probably all gathering there and hearing that message. And it's there that they that they immerse three thousand of them, and that's the only place wow. that you could you could really accommodate that many people. Which yeah. kind of sidebar here is what what Luke is trying to do there is teach us and remind us about the very first Pentecost, which happened fifteen hundred years prior. At the mount the base of mount sinai when god tried to give his people the law on tablets of stone they rejected it and then they had the golden calf incident and then the levites ran through the camp and slayed three thousand people so fast forward yeah, that same crazy. exact same exact day 1500 years later um he gives them not the law written on stone tablets but the law written on their hearts via the holy spirit there's three thousand added to their numbers that day and uh then they're all immersed
0: wow and, um, that's. Yeah. Interesting. so, so just kind of a, I don't know if we could find it in the and maybe we can in the Sinai story, was there immersion there at the Sinai story? I know, yeah, uh, yeah there was okay, uh,
1: yeah, and in, in acts acts nineteen and twenty they had to they had to wash themselves before they approached the mountain. they had to um, so it's it's not in the same exact order, but there is immersion that's happening. yeah, yeah and yeah, there's, yeah. Even, so, there's even there's even uh, different different languages. Um, the rabbis say that when God spoke from the mount the the top of Mount Sinai, that his voice split simultaneously in the 70 languages of the world so that all the mixed multitude that joined the camp of Israel, because there was a lot of different nations represented there at the base of Mount Sinai, they could all hear the Ten Commandments being spoken simultaneously in their own native language. So you go fast forward 1,500 years to Acts 2, there's the same concept. There's different languages being spoken supernaturally.
0: Wow. That's awesome. That's so cool to see that parallel there, which Pentecost was, by the way. Was that last week?
1: Yeah, yeah, Sunday. Yeah. It's past Sunday.
0: Very cool. What's why what do you say happy Pentecost in Hebrew? <laughs> uh,
1: well Pentecost in Hebrew is Shavuot. So you'd say Shavuot. Chag, Chag Shavuot Sameach.
0: I'm gonna let you say that. <laughs> because if yeah. I said that, that would be like you speaking Hindi. So um, I just hawk,
1: I just hawked like three loogies. but
0: yeah. So like okay, so, so there's so much richness and symbolism that was practiced in the early church when someone chose to um, be a disciple when someone chose to convert the the modern evangelical practice that we have now of leading Mm. someone to christ i mean it it, most of the time looks something like this and i was coached in this i was like a lot of folks that grew up in the kind of churches that i grew up in. i'm not knocking and i'm just saying this is this is what we were taught like when you share the gospel with somebody, you always start with, Hey, can I ask you a personal question? If you were to die tonight, where would you go? Mm-hmm. And if they say, Well, I don't I don't know where I'd go, or if they say, Well, I'd go to heaven, well, why do you say that? And then that's the door that opens to share a brief summary of the gospel. And then there's the Would you like to pray with me to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? And then it's well, repeat after me. And and there's a, a prayer that it was very common known as the sinner's prayer, and you lead someone through it and they pray it. And then after that, you look at them and say, if you prayed that and you meant it, congratulations, welcome to the family of God. <laughs> now, if we look at historically, what it looked like in the first, second, third century, what it looked like in the book of Acts, when someone received the message of Christ, how How far of a departure have we taken in this modern evangelical practice of le? and I'm not we'll talk about that. I think there's a there's a time and place for prayer in the practice of receiving Christ, but what are we missing? and what are some of the dangers of kind of the model that we have now that's opposed to the model that we have given in the book of Acts and in the first second and third century?
1: Yeah, well, I think if you got if you gotta put the gospel back in its proper context um, in the anticipation uh you know the the in hebrew it's a besorah and besorah is glad tidings um but if you if you go to like isaiah 52 verse um 7 i think it is uh let me see how lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings the besorah the good news who announces peace and brings this besorah this good news of happiness and who announces salvation now the hebrew word there for salvation is yeshua and says to zion your god reigns so let's break this verse down because i think this gives a good understanding what the gospel actually is it's the good news um, because there's peace and how is there peace because there is a king that was victorious so there was, mm-hmm. there was an army out it's the idea of, of someone coming in from the countryside announcing that the king was victorious in battle. Therefore, the king gets to sit on his throne a little longer. And that's the, that's the, in the nutshell, that's the basic of, of what good news is, what the gospel is, is that the king is sitting on his throne. There is a king and he's on his throne. Yeah, And we, we don't think of the gospel in those terms because we don't like the idea of there being a king sometimes. But that's the best relationship we can have is, um we have a king and he has redeemed us for a purpose now we need to be loyal subjects to him
0: so so the the biblical understanding of the gospel first starts with the kingship of messiah versus hey do you want a magic ticket to heaven <laughs> Right? I mean, because like, it is so, I think that's one of the the bones I have to pick with the American church. We have made everything so human-centric. You know, we tell people like, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, that's great because everyone, most everyone has also a wonderful plan for their lives as well. Not, Mm -hmm. Not that doesn't, not that God doesn't have a wonderful plan for our lives, but I think sometimes we, 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 Almost bastardized the gospel message by making it all about us and what God can do for us instead of mm-hmm. focusing on what God has done through Christ as the risen, victorious king. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, like, um, you know, that was the expectation of the apostles. They said, um, so when they, when they, this is Acts 1 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? So, like that's that's the expectation they have. They're like, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Because you know, we're oppressed by the Romans currently, and the prophets say that's what the Messiah is going to do. So when are you going to do this? And notice right. here, he doesn't say, Oh no, I'm not going to do that. But instead, he he says, It is not for you to know the times or the season that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So in other words, he's saying, no, not right now, but I but need you to. Coming. Yeah, but that's that's yeah. in essence the goal of that's the good news, and um, is the is the restoration of the kingdom of Israel on earth, and that will be the that will be the stage on which um, he will return, um, but for two thousand years, give or take, uh, there hasn't been this geopolitical nation on the map called Israel. So it's really easy then to take and kind of massage that out of the text a little bit as, as an expectation of the gospel and make it all about, you know, I don't know, the United States of America or whatever the case may be like, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) intrinsically like the, the, the epicenter of the gospel is the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. Now, where do non-Jews fit into that? Where do non-Israelis fit into that? they're part of the plan as well. And the prophets foretell that the, even the nations, like Zechariah 14, then all the nations of the world will have to come up and, and bow down to this king. And they will pay homage to this king or else they won't receive rain on their land.
0: Yes. Yeah, and I think that's, that's more the language you see in the book of Acts. I'm thinking of Acts, uh, let's see, I think it's chapter three. He talks about times of refreshing have come and for them that would have harkened back to the prophets talking about, Hey, the kingdom is going to be inaugurated and it's going to be inaugurated because Mashiach Messiah has, has come on the scene. Right. And so mm-hmm. their language, the apostles, when they make this proclamation that the kingdom is at hand, it's here, it's coming. It, it's a very different gospel message and proclamation than I think that we get here in America. And that is you can know that you're going to go to heaven when you die. And, and I, and again, mm. I keep hearkening on that. I keep pointing that because I think that I, I'll just, okay, let's just talk. We're going to talk real, all right. Real talk. <laughs> real talk with Josh and Gabe as buddies. Um, one of the most frustrating things about pastoring in the Southern part of the United States is encountering people who don't really follow Jesus, their faith has no impact on the words that they speak, the actions they take, how they live out their lives. Like you would literally not be able to see a difference between their life and anybody else's life and yet they live with this assurance that they are indeed Christian because at one point in their life, maybe when they were seven at vacation Bible school, they recited a prayer so they wouldn't go to hell. Mm. And so then they are almost inoculated mm. from the Christian message. They're almost inoculated from Christian discipleship because they, they said to themselves, I'm good. I've received it. I've done the Christian thing. And I'm going to heaven when I die. And that's that's pretty much all there is. Mm. And, and the problem is, this is the message that we peddle. This is the message that we pass off and we sell as the gospel. This is what it means. You pray the prayer, you enter into this sort of handshake bargain agreement with Jesus. All right, Jesus, I'll play your game. I'll I'll pray this prayer. And you just don't send me to hell when I die, right?
1: <laughs> Jesus take and the wheel.
0: Jesus take the wheel. I mean, do you see that where you're at, or is it just me? I sound like a big jerk right now.
1: I do, um, and I think I think commercialism has a play in it as well. American commercialism, um, this idea yeah, so. that it, well, it's kind of just like another insurance policy, um, mm. and it's not really like a, a constitution. It's an insurance policy. It's not a, you know, it's not a way of life or a culture. It's just like, oh, and yeah, I've got I've got a bumper sticker, so I'm good. Or I've got it, you know. I eat, it, I eat a Chick Fil A. Yeah, and I eat a Chick Fil A. <laughs> so, I go to I go to church on Christmas and Easter, and I'm good, you know. Right. Right. But um, yeah, I think that's that's a very real problem. I think um, there will. I think that the King will sort all that out. And fortunately, that's not my job to do that. But I, it's my job right now to prepare people for the coming King. Um, yes. because when the King comes, there's people who are happy and there's people who are sad. There's only two groups of people. Right. And, um, when the King comes, he's going to have to account for what, you know, what he gave us, you know, like the talents, the parable of the talents, what'd you do with what I gave you? Right. Um, and yeah. When, but you but know-
0: also as, as teachers, we will be judged doubly for the message that we gave and the message that we presented to people about what this whole thing is about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that if we, if we get this wrong and we, we mess this message up and we make it basically a, a message that's not biblical, a message that's more or less, we, we just, we, we minimize it to be about just one thing. Um, then I think, I think we're going to be judged for that. I mean, mm-hmm. right? Am I, am I being off on that, or?
1: Yeah, I think if we teach a half truth or a watered down truth, or yeah, I think I think um, we would be. Now we can teach the truth, unadulterated truth, and Word of God, and then if people don't act on that, I don't think that that's on us. Yeah. But yeah, absolutely, I think we we will be held accountable for uh, whether or not we shared unadulterated truth in the Word of God. Yeah, um, and if what, when you can share the word of God and do it for gain, like uh, selfish gain, and I think that's another sure. thing that's, that could be problematic for people. But
0: well, and I, I honestly feel like part of the practices and the techniques we were given to share the gospel, and I'm talking it, it like we in some churches we did door to door evangelism, where we literally mm-hmm. go door knocking. Did you ever do that? And somebody opens the door, and you're standing over the gospel track, and. <laughs> Hi, we're going around the neighborhood. And if you were to die tonight, where would you, and, and when you talk about doing it for selfish gain, it almost seems as though we were doing it so we could get, you know, 10 salvations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 salvations. Hey, we had a visitation team go out Saturday and they had 10 salvations or we had a, you know, visitation go out Thursday evening and they had 15 salvations. And it was like, we patted ourselves on the back and yeah. And, and man, I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating spiritual fruit or any of that. But I think the the part of me that got a little bit disillusioned is after we prayed with someone to receive Christ allegedly, they never came to church. Like where were they?
1: Yeah, you didn't see a lot of transformation or anything after
0: right. that. Right. We actually didn't see a ton of baptisms from that either. Hmm. You well, know, what, was,
1: what 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 is fruitful then? What's exactly. the alternative?
0: Well, I think that um, clearly articulating a biblical response to the gospel is crucial. I think articulating what the gospel is, is crucial. And Mm -hmm. we've kind of expounded on that, you know, the good news of what God has done in Jesus Christ and the fact that he has come as king and the kingdom is here. Mm -hmm. But I think it's on us as proclaimers of this gospel evangelists. And again, I don't think that's just for me and you, because we're pastors. I think that's for every single person that calls themselves the father of Jesus Christ mm-hmm. to speak and articulate a response that is faithful to the biblical instruction um, of what it means to respond to this message. And I think we get that from, if you look in the gospel of Matthew, when Jesus first begins to preach in Matthew chapter four, and this is so fascinating to me, the first thing that Jesus says, Matthew 4, 17, about the kingdom of heaven being near is this. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, mm. the kingdom of heaven's at hand. And, and I think that is the one piece that I think we are missing from so many declarations of the gospel and so many instructions to receive the gospel is this idea of repentance. Mm-hmm. Um so repentance, if you've never heard of it, and Gabe, you kind of talked about this last episode, right? About this idea in the Hebrew. Did I bring okay, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, no. no
1: yeah. Uh Teshuva.
0: Yeah. And that's defined that's a type of shoe that you wear, right? A, a teshuva. <laughs> teshuva. What, yeah. Yeah. And really here's,
1: and and, I mean, uh, the Jewish imagination, uh, teshuva or repentance is not real repentance until, uh, you are given the full opportunity to commit that sin again. Like, let's say it's something on your computer. Um, you have your computer open, your family's gone to Walmart and you're all by yourself, but you've repented. You've, you've acknowledged that you have an addiction to pornography or whatever the case may be. And you're sitting there and you have a desire to go to a website, but then you say, no, I won't go to that website. I'm not going to do that. And you successfully overcome that temptation. That in in that in that context is you've achieved teshuva, repentance in oh. that area of your life.
0: So it, it's not just feeling bad. It's not just crying the blues. It's not saying, oh man. Yeah.
1: That's just That's sorrow. Yeah. Guilty, right? And there's a difference between sorrow and turning from sin. Turning from sin involves being face to face with the sin and saying, no, thank you. But sorrow, you. is, yeah, sorrow is the first part of that. That's a necessary part. It's right. a good and holy part, but turning from sin is a whole other level. And I think that is that is where the the kind of the meat and potatoes of, of repentance, if that makes sense.
0: Right. Yeah. And I've also it added to that, I think it involves turning from self. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, um, if anyone wants to be a disciple of mine, they must take up their cross and deny themselves. Mm. And come after me, so I, I I mean, would you agree with that? Repentance is also choosing to say i'm I'm not going to be guided by simply what I want to do anymore. I'm going to give that up in lieu of following someone else, and that is Jesus.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'd say the our our hearts are intrinsically um, we have a propensity to want to break God's word to go against His will. So yeah, turning from yourself says, I'm not going to follow what my flesh wants me to do, but instead I'm going to follow what the Word of God is trying to conform me into doing.
0: Right. Yeah. And and also there's a, a changing of the mind and heart. Isaiah 55 talks about, um, it says, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So choosing to begin that process of allowing God to change us to um, regenerate us basically from, from the inside out. Um, I think Jesus would really hammer the Pharisees on that because they just wanted to clean the outside of the cup. They didn't really want that regeneration, um, that we see, um, being talked about in the book of Isaiah and then Jesus talking about, um, and then making a personal decision to make a, a clean break or really, um, I found this really interesting. I was studying it in the uh, practice of the early church. Before someone was baptized, they would ask someone a series of questions that was basically known as a renunciation. Hmm. And so they would basically ask the candidate that was about to be baptized. Do you renounce Satan? Do you renounce the world? And do you renounce your flesh? And that candidate for baptism essentially had to say, yes, like I'm choosing to, Hmm speak against those things and make a clean break from those things. And I'm personally deciding now that I'm not going to engage in the same habits. I'm not going to engage in the same behaviors. I'm going to do everything I can to renounce those things, walk away from those things and choose to live my life different in obedience to Christ. Hmm. And yeah, I think that's, that's so interesting. interesting, that that whole... I don't know. What do you think? Well, Next yeah, service yeah. your church, Telling people to renounce Satan. That's how you get labeled. <laughs> yeah. <cold>, isn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's very similar to what I do. Actually, when I take people down into the water to be immersed, I ask yeah. them, I ask them three questions. I tell them I'm going to ask these three questions even before I take them into the water, because I want to make sure that they have the opportunity to back out um, mm. even before they go down to the water. So I tell them the three questions as we're standing up before we even before they even enter the water. I say, question number one, I'm going to ask you is do you confess that you're a sinner and do you accept the atoning work of messiah over your life for those sins if you answer yes i'm going to go on to number two do you do you agree to to um live a life obedient to his teachings because in matthew 28 it says that you're to baptize them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit and teaching them to obey everything that i commanded you so i asked them that question do you agree to um to living obedient to all his teachings and his commandments? If they say yes, then I go on number three, do you agree to living a life that is worthy of his dying for? Wow. If they they say yes, yeah, then I, then I give them the go ahead to go into the water. And so, yeah, then I take them down into the water and then I ask them those three questions and there's, there's witnesses there that are hearing that. So how long,
0: how long do you hold them under?
1: Uh, until they kind of stop fighting. That's kind of what my, (laughs) it's
0: just, you know, just, just asking. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Oh gosh. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to get an email on that one. <laughs> I'm so sorry.
0: never coming to your church.
1: I'm so sorry. You know, we've been yeah. we've been doing some lately on this river, and uh, it's it's the Choctahatchee River here in southern Alabama. It's uh, very Alabamian. Yeah, the Choctahatchee. The <laughs> but it's, um It's got quite the current to it. So we kind of form these like human chains, uh, which is kind of a cool picture anyways, but it, it's, you know, we are all like holding hands and we're holding each other there from, from being swept away by this current and, mm. uh, deep and,
0: spiritual and, symbolism there,
1: there is. Yeah. Yeah. But I actually have, one, I'm excited. I have a, hopefully one coming up this, this coming Sunday.
0: Oh, right on. That's awesome. Yeah. Man.
1: If not too. So we'll see. We'll yeah. See.
0: That's really cool. I think I'm going to steal that from you and act like that. Um, I came up with it. Yeah, do it. Tell, tell my folks that I was just praying, and God just gave me this three question test to well, ask candidates for baptism. And well, you know, I- it's
1: there's no there's no cre- clear scriptural formula, but I, I like I like to I like to hold people accountable to that because I feel like it, this is a holy and an utterly unique. Um, practice of what we're about to do, what we're about to bargain. So I, I want I want that to be, and one of the things that we do is we actually have, I and the person that I will be immersing, we fast that entire day.
0: Oh, and that's so, cool.
1: So we actually um, will go into the water hungry. They'll come up and then we'll, everyone will come up out of the, the water and um, everyone that's there witnessing will gather around and they'll pray that the person is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And then we have a festive meal afterwards celebrating their their rebirth. So, um, that's kind of, that's kind of our tradition and we kind of, yeah,
0: that's awesome, man. Um, we do something very similar. I mean, we, um, talk obviously at length with that person. So what we do three times a year is we'll do a gospel message and we'll talk about what the gospel is. We talk about what it means to receive the gospel. And so all these things that we're talking about tonight, repentance, faith in Christ and then baptism, the significance of that. And then we give people an opportunity to respond to that. And, um, the folks that do respond, a lot of them, they have been talking about it for months and weeks on end. Right. So mm-hmm. at some point they've approached us about being baptized. So I've been, mean, some of it, man, we, we really feel like, and I don't know how you feel about this. But some of it we, we offer, if it's your first Sunday there, and you hear the gospel message and you receive it. And you're like, man, I want to be in on this. And you understand what you're doing. We don't deny them water. I mean, if they, mm. and, and I don't know how you feel about that, but, it, you know, I feel like I can stand pretty firmly on the book of Acts actually. Well, I mean, that's, too, but <laughs> Yeah. I mean,
1: the Ethiopian eunuch, it seems like they were just traveling yeah. the road and they found the first puddle on the side of the road and they're like, hey, let's do this.
0: Yeah. So we've over the years had, um, you know, people that it's been that long journey of them slowly kind of coming to faith and saying, okay, I'm, I'm in, I want to do this. Let's get baptized. And it's been, you know, several months or even up to a year or a few years before they get baptized for some, it's like, all right, first Sunday here, let's do this. Um, (laughs) but one of the things we do is, you know, they'll go change and then they'll be in my office and one of our elders or myself or somebody really just ask them, Hey, what do you, tell me, what are you doing? Why are you wanting to do this? And we want to hear them in their own words, tell us what's going on in their heart. Um, because the last thing I I want is for somebody to go through any practice, whether that's reciting a prayer, getting in a tank of water, doing anything and think that because I'm going through this magical ritual, therefore I now have a relationship with God. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I think that's so human nature, I think has a tendency to, take sacred acts that are meant to be so much more and turn them into hoops that we jump through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it what it does is it devalues that I hate to use this word ritual. I guess a, a rite. Um it devalues that and um takes away I guess the degree of the holiness of it and the and the uh, the gravity of this. One of the things um I want to read something from this document real quick and then I want to tell a story about you've gone to real fast it's kind of funny yeah do it but the, this documentary read is called the ddk and the ddk is a document that dates back to the first or second century and it's actually it, it's recorded, it's written down um, like oral uh, tradition that was passed down from the original apostles and we have this document and it's really neat because it actually fleshes out and gives a little bit more detail. Um, but chapter seven of the DDK talks about ritual immersions and it goes but concerning baptism. Thus shall you baptize, having first taught all these things. Baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in living or running water. But if you have not living water, then baptize in any water. And if you're not able to in cold, then baptize them in warm. So cold is preferable, apparently.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let everybody know we're taking the heater out of our baptism experience. Yeah.
1: But if you have neither, pour water on the head three times in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But before the baptism, let him who baptized and him who is baptized fast and any others also who can do the same. And you shall order him who is baptized to fast a day or two before. So um, this idea that baptism is just a symbol. There's nothing magical about it. There's no really, it's just a physical symbol of what is an inward state that you want to be regenerated. You want to be born again. You want to be a new creation. Um, But also probably later on, we'll talk about this idea of uh rehearsing for the resurrection of the dead, which is huge. But um mm. it, I think this is a really good chapter in the DDK and it shows in the first and second century, how, how important and what emphasis they placed on the ritual of baptism, even to the point that if you don't have any water, uh, you know, just, Take a cup of water and just dump it on their head three times and do this because you have right. to have you have to do this. Um, it's part of this process of being redeemed, of being born again.
0: So, and you that, would say with with confidence on this document, the D am I saying that right?
1: Yeah, I think K is how you pronounce it. I might
0: be K
1: dude. It's a D'Ache,
0: <laughs> it's a decay, man. So in the first, second, third century, someone that was coming to faith in Christ, baptism would have been that. Yes. That, that would have, you know, there wouldn't have been a, hey, we're playing just as I am on the keyboard, come up front, and <laughs> squeeze preacher's prayer, you know, squeeze his hand as you pray the prayer. It would have been more, okay, you've received this message. Now you're going to publicly profess that you are a follower of Jesus through mm-hmm. this act of baptism.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, been a very big deal.
0: Yeah. So a biblical response to the gospel. We we talked about repentance, probably being that's that's the first thing we see the message of Jesus. That's the first thing we see the apostles talking on. Obviously, faith in Christ is kind of, you know, I like to say that repentance and faith in Christ are um they're they're two sides of the same coin, right? Mm-hmm. So we're letting go of our sin in one sense at the same time as we're letting go in our sin, we're grabbing hold of Christ. So it's not just an intellectual belief in who he is. Obviously, that's a part of it, right? But, you know, the James 2.19 says even the demons believe that God is one and they they tremble. <laughs> it's instead a coming to Christ for salvation and that we're trusting in the fact that his blood covers us and we are redeemed to use that language that we talked about earlier. And, and that means basically that um, he paid the penalty for our sins through his atonement, through his sacrifice. And we're receiving that. We are trusting in that we're surrendering to his Lordship We're surrendering to his authority. And obviously that's a, an inward condition, right? That we verbalize. Um, Romans 10, nine says, if you, um, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that Christ, uh, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So there's a, you know, it's in our hearts, it's in their inward state, but we confess it, profess it with our mouth. But then it seems like baptism is the means by which someone does that, right?
1: Yeah, I think it's a public, it's a more public declaration of all that. It's an opportunity right. to stand in front of people and say that I'm pledging my allegiance to this kingdom. And and that should not be taken lightly, but I think it's, at the same time, I don't see a whole lot of room for baptism being done in private.
0: I don't either. I don't either. Now, I've, I've made an exception when someone says, hey, I just want my family and close friends there sure, like in the sure. middle of the week. But if it's just like, hey, just me and the pastor, because I don't want anybody seeing me, mm-hmm. that's I'm like, all right, let's talk. Jesus yeah. said, "If you profess me before men, I will; my Father will profess you before the angels in heaven. Right? If you deny me before men, the Father will deny you. Like there has to be an element of doing this in public.
1: Yeah, yeah. And why? Because I think it's a it's a community thing. It's like why do you have witnesses at a wedding? Because the idea is that those people will be there to support the bride and the groom if they're going through hard times, and they will do their best to keep those people married. Um, yeah. and they will support that couple. So I think that's the same concept with with Immersion in water and water in baptism is like you're saying you're making a public declaration. I'm I'm coming into covenant, but also I'm I'm switching my allegiance to the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of heaven, and I need your help in that. I need you to support me. I need you to hold me accountable. Um, I need you as a community in those times when I have questions, when I'm learning about this faith, and and uh, I think that's that's the essence of it. Um, which is why I, I never do it in private. It's always something that we have as many people who are willing to come, um, we have them come and we watch and then they're, they're part of that. They're part of that group that lays hands and they, they pray for the indwelling of the Holy spirit after, after the fact.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So the symbolism of baptism, um, Titus three, five talks about, um, the washing of regeneration and acts twenty two sixteen, 16 we see uh paul telling his testimony he talks about how he was instructed to rise be baptized and wash away your sins so there's a symbolism in the water of kind of this washing this cleansing of sin that we experience in salvation and one of the most obvious symbolisms you know through through getting in a tank of water and the water being washed over you is to show that we've been forgiven and to show that we've been cleansed, we've been cleaned. Mm. And that's a beautiful picture in that. But something else that you pointed out, I think, with, such an incredible picture, is it It also shares, it shows this union that we share with Christ when we come to him for salvation. In the fact that when we go under the water, uh, the Bible talks about in Colossians 2.12 how we're buried with him in baptism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then when we come up out of the water, we're, we're raised to walk in newness of life. So there's this picture of how Jesus is buried in the ground, we're buried in baptism, and then Jesus rises again from the dead. We come up out of that water as a new creation. And it's also, like you said, pointing ahead to this beautiful reality that we will be included in the resurrection as Christ was the first fruits mm-hmm. of resurrection.
1: Yeah, it's almost like a rehearsal. Like you're you're entering this uninhabitable space, and then you're mm. coming back out of that, and you're taking your first breath of fresh air as a new creation, um, just like wow. a just like a baby. But um, yeah, one of the funny stories I was going to share is I, I last time I was in Uganda, I took thirty people. I hired a bus for fourteen dollars. I could fit like fifty people on this bus, and I drove them an hour <laughs> an hour away to the nearest body of water uh which was like, like this roadside stream and we got them all down in this body of water and they were taking forever to actually like they they were so skittish about getting the water and going down under the water and it occurred to me and someone someone told me for many of them if not all of them it's the first time they've ever been fully submerged in water in their entire lives and these are like wow. grown adults and everything. So it was you know they were like totally skittish about that it was kind of funny. Yeah
0: Wow. So okay, here's my funny story about baptism. The first baptism that I performed as an associate pastor, um I <laughs> it was in February. And so um we didn't use heaters. I guess we were trying to follow the Didache or the D. Yeah, yeah. So we were trying to make it as spiritual as possible by giving the coldest water possible. And so there was this dude and he had like just come out of jail. He had a really cool kind of testimony how God had saved him and so he was wanting to uh, be baptized and so we talked with him we prayed with him and and I told him I was like all right man it's gonna be really cold in this uh it was essentially like a, a, a watering trough I mean it's you know mm-hmm. but it's in the middle of February it's cold I was like it's gonna be really cold so when you get in there I want you to like sit down and then I'm just gonna we're gonna go back and go up and like ask him all the questions before we got in the water for that reason because I knew it was like really cold yeah So he like he gets in the water, and I don't know if he like misunderstood my directions, but he tries to like sit on his butt, and he just ends up like floating. So he's like floating on his back, and he's like shivering and like almost like (laughs) like screaming, (laughs) and he's like floating around, and he's like almost swimming. And I'm like, all right, come come back to me. And I'm like trying to like get him, and he's like swimming away from me. And so everybody's watching as he's like floating and swimming away from. And finally. Cause I'm like trying to save face. Cause I'm like I know what I'm doing, which I didn't know what I was doing. Cause this was the first time I've ever about to see anybody. I just like as he's floating, like push on his chest and just dunk him. Yeah, <laughs> and he goes under, and he's spitting and sputtering, and probably got water up his nose and came back up. And yeah, he didn't die of really? hypothermia that day, but he I bet he probably uh, probably thought he was going to.
1: That's when you just you just grab him and power bomb him in the water, you know.
0: Have you seen that video clip of that dude who's a pastor that literally body slams and have you seen that?
1: No, I haven't. He does the,
0: the body slam baptisms.
1: No. I, wait, wait is it, are they brain busters or are they back breakers?
0: Uh I want to say they're power bombs.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. Or suplexes. I'll, I'll send it to you. Okay.
1: That's fine. As long as he doesn't power slam them or do the Boston crab, I think.
0: <laughs> Sidewalk slam. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Wow we we got way off
0: topic, yeah, we got way off topic on that, so uh, wrapping this up here's what here's what i um uh, here's what I think is really important. I think that a biblical response to the gospel and Gabe, you can add to this, take away from this, correct me if I'm way off of this. a biblical response to the Gospel of Jesus Christ must always involve telling someone repentance is necessary mm-hmm. faith in Christ is necessary. And that is we trust in Christ as our atoning sacrifice for sin. We're not trusting in ourselves. And then baptism is that response to the gospel that we see in the book of Acts and we see in the New Testament.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think if you have the opportunity, uh, if you have the body of water to do so, that yeah, immersing in water is one of the vital steps of our redemption and salvation process. Um, okay, so
0: yes. two two loaded questions, all right? And I'm sure we're going to get emails if we don't address them. Yeah. Number number one, is it wrong to pray with someone to receive Christ? And number two, what happens if someone doesn't get baptized?
1: Dun, dun, dun. Is it wrong to pray some? No, I don't think it's wrong to pray with someone to receive Christ. But I would think, and I would liken it, on the level of helping deliver a baby and then leaving that baby and walking away, if you're not willing to do the follow up with that person that you prayed with and care for that newborn baby, right. um, and I would immediately try to link them up with someone in a position of authority within a local assembly or church and say, "Let me get you together and then let's let's do what we need to do to be able to to feed you, to you know to." to teach you the fundamentals of the faith and get you in some water and immersed in water.
0: Right. Um, okay. Like- so if someone doesn't get baptized, mm-hmm. so they, you know, sit next to you on an airplane and you share the gospel with them and then they pray with receive Christ and they're like, you know, they're in, mm-hmm. you point them in the direction of a local assembly. They're going to get baptized mm-hmm. that Sunday, but as they're leaving the airport, they get run over by a cement truck. Mm-hmm. Gabe, what happens?
1: Well, I mean, you could take it back to the, the, the guy on the cross next to Jesus, because he says, you know, there's just there's a beautiful picture of salvation. And uh, he says, you know, I believe that you're the Christ, I believe you're Messiah. And he says, today, you will be with me in paradise. So Mm -hmm. it's not like they got down off the cross and crosses and went and did an immersion. So uh, (laughs) it leads me to believe that, um, if you're unable to, uh, for whatever reason, like if you're dying on your hospital bed or something like that, and you don't have the means to do that, then absolutely. Because like I said, it's not a, there's nothing magical about it. It's not this, you know, this, uh, I don't know. It's not going to actually take your sins away or anything like that. It's just a symbol of something that's already inward. Absolutely. Should should be anyways.
0: Yeah. And I'm on the exact same page and I'm, I'm asking you baited questions because I know that there's folks that are probably wanting that. Right. And I always get that question of, do you have to? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and one of the responses that I always give when somebody says, do I have to? I say, well, here's the thing. If you have an the opportunity to, but you won't.
1: Why wouldn't you? Yeah.
0: That's an indication of a bigger heart issue. And I would go back to square one and ask, have you truly received this gospel message that says that Jesus is the King and that you want to be in that kingdom? Because if You want to be in the kingdom, but you don't want to surrender to the king. Mm -hmm. Sorry, man, you're not, you're not in the kingdom. That's how that works. But if you do want the kingdom, then you have to be willing to surrender to the king. And what does the king say? He says that first, that first step of obedience and following him as a disciple (laughs) is baptism.
1: Yeah, it's so funny because like, yeah, I want to be, I want to be in the kingdom well, here's what the king says you have to do to enter the kingdom. No, I don't want to do that. I just want to, you know, it's like, so your very first, your very first act of being part of the kingdom is disobedience to the king. Like that's, it's not going to end well for you, you know?
0: Probably a pretty bad track record. Yeah. I I always say this, uh, everybody wants to go to heaven. The problem is not everybody wants God to be there when they get there. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a danger of us making a gospel message. So human centric that we miss the kingdom and we miss the king and all that kind of stuff. So, (laughs) Well, do you have anything to add to this, to detract from that? Do you think we spoke yeah. on the latest greatest heresy? Or do you think we did this topic justice? Uh,
1: there, You can you can explore this topic for your lifetime and just talking about, uh, man, I mean, there, there's you could go off on a tangent talking about, like I said, the, the three dunks and the 40 seas of water. If you just look for the pattern of like three 40s through scripture, it's all over the yeah. place. But let me ask you a beta question, a loaded question.
0: Okay, go for it.
1: Um, Would you ever baptize a baby?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's funny. I typed that up on our show notes and I was going to ask you that to get your answer. Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay, can I give you like a personal question or not a personal, a personal response to that? And then I'll give you kind of a follow up with that. Sure. Okay, here's my personal response to that. No, Mm. I would not. And here's why the pattern I see in the book of Acts, and I'll say the predominant pattern, because I know people who are pedo Baptists right now are listening and going, "Ah, but it says they baptize the whole household. Okay. The predominant pattern I see in the book of Acts is that baptism is given mainly to those who have already begun the Christian life. Since it is a symbol of beginning the Christian life, the ones that receive it have already begun the Christian life. Right. Mm -hmm. So I personally feel a, um, I think I, I feel like in my conscience, I could not in good conscience baptize a child that did not understand what it meant to begin the Christian life.
1: What's the youngest you would go with, with the youngest I
0: have gone is about five or six. Mm, Okay. and, And I have been very careful that that child can articulate to me what they are doing, why they are doing it. And I'm also very careful to make sure that the parents understand that it is now their job to disciple their child. Um, Now, okay, so that's my personal response, okay? I have very dear friends who are probably going to listen to this podcast that could give a very well articulated response to why you should baptize children and why you should baptize infants.
1: Yeah, I know. I know a lot of you know. I, I was in a Presbyterian church for a few years, and I know some of them. Yeah. Will say it's a it's a replacement of of ritual circumcision, circumcision. or not, but, Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And and the um, covenant and all that stuff. And I get that, but that's yeah. not what I see baptism being in the Book of Acts.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree that that's, yeah. that's not Um.
0: So if you're a pedo-baptist and you're listening to this and you're thinking of sending us a nasty email, don't. We love you. You're just wrong. No, just kidding. (laughs) Uh, We could be totally wrong on this, but I think the biblical pattern you see, and and I say the predominant biblical pattern you see, is that baptism is given mainly to people who have already begun the Christian life. Now, someone could say the whole household. Okay, maybe, but is that mainly what the book of Acts focuses on, or is that like one or two fringe verses? Hmm. Right, and and even going back to the Didache, and this could be a whole other podcast episode. Did they baptize babies in the first, second, and third century?
1: I would guess not. I mean, I don't, I don't know right offhand of any references. Yeah. I, you know, I just I don't see it being like I said, like I said, you have to have the the mental faculty of knowing what you're doing and why you're doing right. it in order to.
0: And here's a very practical pastoral just comment. Uh, there's been a tremendous amount of folks that I've re baptized who got baptized as infants mm. that come to me and say, Hey, I got baptized as a baby and I didn't have a say in the matter. Now that I'm an adult and I've received Christ as my Lord and savior for myself, mm. I want to get baptized in water to profess my allegiance to him as King. And I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And they almost, and this is gonna sound mean, they almost feel like they have been guilted by their family for wanting to do that.
1: Mm. Interesting.
0: Like they're somehow turning their back on their, you know, Catholic family or Presbyterian family or Reformed or Anglican or whatever, whatever tradition, you know, because they want to get baptized as an adult. And I just I don't know. So anyway, if we totally mishandled that, and you want to send us an email about how we're awful because we haven't baptized our babies, feel free to. We love you though. We just disagree with you. So
1: yeah, just send it. Just send it to Josh's email.
0: <laughs> All right, Gabe. Well, happy dunking, my friend. Hey, I just one question. When your people come up from the water after being baptized, you said you guys eat immediately. Is do you have like a hamburger in your hand when they come up? So they come right up out of the water and you stuff it in their mouth. Just shove it in their face. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, no. Usually we have like a little we have a little cookout or something like that. because usually we go to like a, a public park or a spring or something like that and do it. So there's like barbecue grills around and so we're kind okay. of stuff up. Yeah, yeah, it's Alabama. We dunk them in we dunk them in sweet tea. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Just invite stop. me to your next baptism service because I want that sweet, sweet tea. Yeah. All right now. Well, thank you guys for listening. This has been fun. This has been real. This has been real fun. And uh if you have never responded to the gospel of Jesus' king who has come to take away your sins and to include you in his kingdom and his redeeming and redemptive work. I would encourage you to not even question it. Don't don't delay. Right, just right now, repent of your sin, put your faith in Christ and respond to this message through publicly professing him through baptism. So, Like how I did that, Gabe? We went from Sweet Tea Duncan to... Yeah. Yeah, that's good. All righty. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Well, thanks for listening. That's our show. If you like what you've heard, make sure to give us a share, leave us a review, or send us an email at beardsandbiblepodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com.